actual fuck is going on with this whole politics business? Uh, the, the stuff about me paddleboarding, nonsense. The sea was actually closed. It was a, a red notice. You just can't call it. We will not be caught with no clothes on. I've always been a completely normal UK tax player. Russia should go away and should shut up. Um, try that's, that's a dodgy view. And if you've been to Peppa Pig World, who's been to Pads? I've been who's been to Peppa Pig World. In December, I'll be in Beijing opening up new pork markets. I mean, seriously, besties, what the actual fuck? Hiya, besties, we're back. Summer is over. Well, it's summer break, it's summer recess is gone. It's, it's done, it's done, we're back. Um... And everything's falling apart, in some cases quite literally. So we've got a lot to talk about. Oh my God. I'm Jennifer Wan and this is What the Actual Fuck is Going On With This Whole Politics Business. Grab yourself a drink and a snack. Get comfy and cosy, hopefully in a structurally sound building. And let's go. Okay, so uh, breaking news, it is not acceptable to ask <laughs> to ask people in the UK government to do their jobs. This is really unacceptable, guys, and you shouldn't do it. It's really out of order. And you're really hurting Gillian Keegan's feelings, and that is very important, apparently. <laughs> Um, also schools might be falling down and that, but like, listen, Gillian's really upset and she feels really underappreciated right now. And nobody tells her that she's doing a good job. Nobody says that. Why are we not saying that to her? She's really trying or something. I, <sighs> shit, anyways. Uh, so, Gillian Keegan, the Education Secretary, Oy vey. Um, so she has been in the media a lot this week, she's been talking to a lot of people. Why? Well, it was identified just days before schools went back this week that there were hundreds of schools across England that were identified as having a type of potentially dangerous concrete that was liable to collapse. I mean, I mean, what do you even say? What do you even say? I mean, Christ on a bike. I don't think, I don't think that it is that hard to just make sure that the, the fucking schools 
that our children are in are safe structurally obviously i understand like you know literally you know social safety and things like that you know trying to you know stop bullying and peer pressure and stuff like that i understand that's hard and that's going to take longer and it's not always easy and there's not always an easy solution i get that i hear you 100 percent. listen i you know i went through that shit myself when i was at school <laughs> unsurprisingly unsurprisingly the the nerd who who spends uh, several hours a week talking about politics got bullied at school who's shocked um <laughs> you know um but uh, look i also had other factors you know i i was i was poor and i was ethnic and, and a whole bunch of other things um but you know so i i understand those are not easily solvable solutions you want them to be you know, like all I wanted was to feel safe at school. And and even now, sometimes I get frustrated when I hear about bullying in schools because it's like, this is wrong and, and there has to be something done. But I, I do understand it's not an easy solution. I get that. I understand that, um, you know, supporting students through their learning is not an easy thing. I get it. But for fuck's sake, just making sure that the buildings themselves are safe that's easy like we understand we as as a society as a nation as whatever we are we understand what makes a building safe and we understand how to build a building safely we know this building standards exist for a reason we know what those standards are and we know how to build things safely and we understand all of this right and so does our government so you have to ask the question how has this been allowed to happen what the fuck what the actual fuck so People wanted answers from the education secretary because, of course, they do. Of course, they do. I. <laughs> she didn't. She didn't really want to talk at first. Uh, she didn't do many interviews. Um, she did a weird dance video. That was uh, our moment. Um, she said that uh, there was nothing to worry about. Um. Uh, Hello? What? What are you talking about? Um I mean okay. Um she then said in an interview with ITV News um that it was not the job of the Department for Education to look after school buildings. Well, whose fucking job is it, Gillian? Whose fucking job is it? This is the thing that fucking annoys me. You've got all of these people, right? Nobody is forcing them to be part of the government, right? 
obviously I understand if you're a Tory, you're in the governing party, but nobody is forcing you to take the job as Secretary of State for Education. Nobody is making you do that. Nobody is forcing you to take a cabinet role or any kind of job within government. You can say no. There are hundreds of MPs in the Conservative Party and not all of them have jobs in government because some of them just don't want it. They just do their job as an MP. They do their constituency work. Well, if some of them do. Uh, they, they make their representations at Westminster. They vote at Westminster and then they go home. They don't have a government job. But if you take on a government job, then you don't get to walk away and say, oh, it's nothing to do with me, Gov. Oh, no. Cause, because it is, Gillian. It is. Okay? Someone needs to take responsibility for this. And you're the fucking government. And you in particular, you are the Secretary of State for Education. It's your department. It literally has education in the fucking name. I... Who else is going to be responsible for schools, darling? Who is it, you think? Who? So Rishi Sunak says he's not responsible either. Um, <laughs> but Gillian Keegan is not on her own in terms of uh, sharing some of this blame. Rishi Sunak was questioned uh, about the fact that he cut the school rebuilding budget when he was Chancellor. Um... <laughs> That's a valid question. I'm sorry, but it is. It's insane to me that, <laughs> that apparently they, they just... Like, what what did they expect to happen? What did they expect to happen? Uh, so the budget was cut... Um, Jesus. Originally, the budget would have allowed for 100 schools a year to fix issues with crumbling concrete and other problems. And Rishi Sunak then cut that budget to 50 schools a year. Um, Jesus Christ. It's absolutely insane. It's absolutely insane. Um... Like, what the fuck? How? It's just incompetence on a next level. Um, It was also uh, much discussed, it kind of resurfaced, that Michael Gove scrapped a £56 billion school building project in 2010 that would have replaced every single school that is currently affected by this concrete mess and nothing came in to replace that nothing and then you get to this point and and all of those schools are fucking falling to pieces this this is what i mean when i say that people should have confidence in themselves and not believe that the government automatically knows better than them and is smarter than them. Because I see a lot of people and they're like, oh, well, you know, they're the government, they know best and, and I'm dumb and I'm stupid. Sweetie, are you hearing this? The Conservatives scrapped plans to rebuild schools that became structurally dangerous 
and then they didn't replace that funding or those plans with anything i guess they just hoped that the schools would stay up out of goodwill or something and now those schools are falling apart and the government are like i'm i'm, I'm sorry what does this have to do with me what i'm sorry you want me to be responsible but but i'm just i'm just a baby i don't know i'm baby don't be mean to me oh. what do you mean you want me to stop the schools falling down on your children's heads that's so mean like literally that is what they sound like um rishi doesn't want to take the blame he said it was utterly wrong to blame him and what did Gillian say well here's what she said when the cameras well I mean they were still on but she thought they were off uh during her ITV interview she said does anyone ever say you know what you've done a fucking good job because everyone else has sat on their asses and done nothing Well, excuse you, darling. What what the fuck is this? It's giving Hugh Abbott. It's giving... It's giving incompetence. That's what it's giving. I, I don't even know where to begin. Um, firstly, I think the government would really prefer that people move away from this moment. But it's not going to happen. Uh, she did release a statement apologising for her charged language. Uh... <laughs> But it's too late, girl, because um, <laughs> the audio went viral on TikTok. So it's not going away. Um, but here's the thing. Why? Firstly, why would someone say, you know what? You've done a good, you've done a fucking good job. Why would anyone say that? Because she hasn't. She hasn't. Nobody in, nobody in the UK government has done a good job. Okay, we've got a situation where nobody can afford a fucking home. Nobody can afford food. Schools are literally falling to pieces. Workers across multiple sectors are on strike because their working conditions are so bad. Prisoners are escaping. More on that in a bit. I... <laughs> nobody's done a good job you can't get a doctor's appointment nurses and doctors are, are so fucking stressed they are on their knees there's, there's just the working conditions there are so shit who who am i supposed to be thanking here who point me to a government minister who is currently doing a good job you can't because there isn't one the fucking courts are in crisis if you try and apply for a passport, for a driving license, for any of that shit, it will take you so long to get it because there are huge delays, huge backlogs. Who is doing a good job? Who? Who is she talking about? I don't know. Uh, but apparently she wants to be thanked. Um, okay, Gillian. Thank you for being a fucking incompetent disaster. Thank you for doing a fucking good job at being a mess and at being a childish, ridiculous 
clown who cannot take responsibility for anything. Thank you so much for that. You've done such a good job at that. I... <laughs> And who the fuck is she talking about sat on their asses doing nothing? Her colleagues in the government, perhaps? I mean, because I don't know who the fuck else she's talking about. I don't know who the fuck else she's talking about. I don't I don't know. Um, but <laughs> she wants to be told that she's doing a good fucking job on a day when hundreds of schools are closed because nobody knows. They could just collapse at any point. They could just collapse. <laughs> so, you know, thank you, Gillian, for potentially squishing our children, I guess. I, I don't know. Are we supposed to be thanking her for that? I have no idea. I have no fucking idea. I don't know. I... I, <laughs> I, I, I just... I just don't know. Um... <laughs> The Treasury also said uh, that there was no new cash available uh, to to fix schools. There was, I mean, technically they'll make money available, but they're making cuts. So it's not new money. They're not actually giving new money to the problem. So, Jesus, honestly... And, and and now it turns out there's there's buildings all over the place uh, that have this dangerous concrete. So that's good. Um, local to me, uh, and this one might be a bit of a headache for the Tories, local to me is the Orchard Theatre in Dartford, uh, which has now had to basically cancel a month's worth of shows due to this concrete being found in the building. That's going to be a huge negative impact to our local economy and to our cultural sector and it's quite interesting because the conservatives are kind of hanging on by a thread in this area so I don't think they are going to be uh, received very well as a result of this there are going to be a lot of people who booked for shows who are really excited and are now not going to get to see them there's going to be a bunch of uh, staff who work at the theatre who are now going to potentially be out of work um performers who are going to be out of pocket as well um and just the, the cultural impact of, of just <laughs> we don't know when our local venue can open is is insane um so honestly i'm just gonna say it i hope that the tories are punished for that at the ballot box let me tell you um I, I would imagine the same is true in other places as well because there are a number of uh, buildings that are now uh, being revealed to have this uh, concrete present. So I think there's going to be a lot of disruption. Um, it was discovered that uh, this concrete is also present in housing estates as well. Um, and the, the government is for some reason saying that they're not going to... Uh, assist with that at all actually uh, open democracy reported on uh, a housing estate in essex which has been built uh, with that concrete um the local council is aware of it but the government has said that they have no plans to pay for work 
on the housing, um, despite the fact that it could be incredibly dangerous. Um, and, and so they're just kind of leaving people with, with, with that disaster to deal with themselves. Um, I'm not shocked, but I am disgusted. Um, so yeah, everything is falling apart, quite literally. Um, so I'm sure that the Tories are really pleased with how this first week back has gone. As if things weren't bad enough under this Tory government, there's now terror suspects on the loose. I... Hello? Hello? What? What the fuck? I... God. Listen, some people, they'll try and tell you that this has got nothing to do with the government, but like, let's be for fucking real. The amount of cuts that they have put into the prison service is insane. And now... Well, they're fucking cost-cutting and punitive savings have come home to roost. And we've, we've got a, a, a potential terrorist just running around. And also people are thirsting over him. And I, I <laughs> what is that? <laughs> what is going on with some of you guys? I have seen so many of the girlies and the gay men and they're like, oh, he's so cute though. And I'm like, where? Bitch, where? What, what are we looking at here? <laughs> what are we looking at? It's like that meme where the guy's like, oh, we all have a bad boy. And then the other guy's like, yeah, but not a terrorist. It's very that. Um, obviously, I have looked at this man and I... <laughs> I don't, I don't see what you're seeing, but um, there are a lot of people who are thirsty for him. So maybe the nation's thirst will lead to him being found because, you know, there are there are people out there running around the streets like, I can change him, just give me a chance. So maybe they'll be able to scoop him up before the police can. I don't know. Um, it did give me slight hope, though, because... <laughs> Let me say this. Let me say this. Um... People seem to like him because he's got he's got kind of like that slight tan and he's got big brown eyes and kind of like you know that curly kind of slightly unruly hair that's you know it looks a bit wild you know I have those exact same features but like I'm a girl so my hope is this number one this bitch gets locked up locked up and number two um that me having those features will make people think i'm very pretty or something i don't know listen there's not much to hope for under this government let me have that anyways so he's on the loose how did this happen what the fuck is going on well apparently he was on remand at wandsworth prison which is a category b prison so it's not as high security as a category a prison obviously um so he was remanded in a Category B prison while he was awaiting trial. Um, he was a former soldier. Um, 
Although many soldiers have been pointing out on social media that that doesn't mean what some people think. Because some people think it means he's going to be like crazy skilled and you know have all these fucking techniques that he knows from his time in the army and you know it's going to be like having fucking James Bond and the guy from 24 and the the lady from Homeland and a whole bunch of like crazy scary people and also slightly like Superman and Batman all mixed up into one person who is so fucking dangerous and so good at avoiding capture that we will never find them right that's what some people think and it's not been helped by the fact that that's what the media keeps saying and they keep bringing people on that say this but there are a number of soldiers who've gone onto social media and, and members of the military who said actually he probably doesn't have you know all of these skills that people think he does you know um he from from the information that's been reported and released um he would have been, you know, working with computers mainly in the military. So he would have had, you know, standard training, but he's not going to be some kind of escape specialist. And from what we know about the escape, it really does seem like it was just sort of luck and a bit of potentially corruption that allowed him to escape. It wasn't like he had this amazing master plan or like he built a fucking jetpack out of supplies he found in the canteen or you know he forced his way out with brute strength or dug a tunnel or anything he <laughs> so he he had been working in the kitchen and he strapped himself to the bottom of a van that was leaving the prison right I mean, <laughs> strapping yourself to the bottom of a vehicle is a pretty, like, day one escape plan. But it, it obviously never works because, you know, the, the bottoms of vans are meant to be checked. And that is where the potential corruption comes in because you have to wonder why, why one of the members of staff at that prison did not make that check. So it's possible that there was an element of corruption and that, you know, there was a member of staff who aided in the escape. And and you have to wonder if, if working conditions were better in prisons, if prisons um, were able to pay decent wages and give decent benefits to staff, would you get a higher level of applicant? Probably, yeah. And would the prison service be able to be um, more stringent when it comes to recruitment? And, and you know, because there have been uh, other cases recently as well. Um, there was an article I saw the other day talking about an almost epidemic of uh, prison officers sleeping with prisoners. Um, although, you know, if you are to be real about it, um, you know, it is, I would say, and, and I think, I think legally it is, it is the same. Prisoners are not able to consent because of the power dynamic. Um, so it's not an equal relationship and it's not them sleeping with the prison guard. Um, it is arguably, um, you know, rape. And so this is, this is going on. We've potentially got prison guards helping people escape uh 
um you know it, it just to me it suggests that for as many good useful professional members of the prison service we have there are also people who are not you know they they are not good at their jobs they are not professional they should not be there and if you know if wages are raised that means that the standards can be raised too and you can make sure that there are not people who who are going to do these things you can attract the right people for the jobs and you can make sure that actually instead of just having you know some people who are really good and some people who are going to do these kinds of things you can you can just have everybody being in the first pile you know um because there are a great number of people across the prison service who do a good job and are doing the best with what they can do but they are massively let down by by the government effectively their jobs are made harder they are having to do far more work than you know than they or people that came into that job before them would have done you know 10 20 years ago um conditions in prisons are not great um there are severe overcrowding issues this has been talked about a lot um over the last few months um and it it makes it very difficult to deliver a good standard of you know of care and of rehabilitation because these are important aspects of imprisonment um i know that for some people they don't they don't care about that because they just want people punished but i mean that's just not realistic is it like rehabilitation is part of the process and it has to happen but it is so much harder for it to happen in these conditions that the government has allowed to happen um so what has the government really said about this you know a potential terrorist is just on the loose um apparently what's happened i mean you would expect for the home secretary to to at least do you know what? Fuck it. I would expect the Home Secretary to resign, but no, of course not. Suella Braverman is just like, what? I'm sorry. What is it you want me to do here? What? This guy's escaped from from prison. Well, what? What's that got to do with me? The Justice Secretary, nothing to say either. Um, I mean, may, maybe Rishi Sunak has, like, told them more specifically that they're not allowed to talk after the whole Gillian Keegan incident. I don't know. Uh, but they, they don't seem to have much to say uh, in regards to to this. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I guess check your sheds. Check your greenhouses, I guess. I don't know. Um, I... <laughs> how, how does it get to this? How does it get to the point where we literally, literally, buildings falling down, collapsing all over the place potentially. No one's got any money, no one's got any disposable income because everything's just gone to shit in that regard. No one can find anywhere decent to live. No one can afford food because it's all got extortionate. And now... A literal terror suspect is just just 
wandering around. He, he got out by strapping himself to a van. That is cartoon shit. That is cartoon shit. But apparently, he managed it. And, and, and we have government ministers kicking off because we're asking them, what are you going to do? Everything is shit. What are you going to do? And they just get angry with us for having the nerve to ask. I, I know it gets said a lot. And maybe I'm joking, but maybe I'm not. But we used to be a country. What the fuck is this? So Rishi Sunak decided to do a little reshuffle this week. And one of the more controversial choices was Grant Shapps as Defence Secretary. Grant Shapps. I mean, I wouldn't know what Grant Shapps has over everybody because he always seems to be given um chances to be in government even though he seems to be a fucking idiot like I don't genuinely I'm asking um he's previously been transport secretary uh briefly home secretary business secretary energy security secretary and now defense secretary so okay great so we have a guy who jumps from job to job is seemingly incompetent. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, the Labour Party also decided to have a little reshuffle of their own. Um, and there was a, a shocking moment in which uh, there was, there was a, a loss to the Shadow Cabinet uh, after Dr. Rosina Alan Khan resigned as shadow mental health minister um and in her resignation letter she said in our call earlier you made clear that you do not see a space for a mental health portfolio in a labor cabinet which is why i told you many weeks ago that i would not be able to continue in this role i have to say um you know firstly I find it concerning that there is apparently not a space for a mental health portfolio in a Labour cabinet, um, considering that the nation is in the midst of a mental health crisis. There are huge issues in terms of um, obtaining treatment um, and support when it comes to mental health. And what's frustrating is that the Labour Party talks about it and says, oh, this is really bad, this is really bad. But what this has revealed is that perhaps they're not actually all that serious about trying to do something about it, you know, if they are to get into government. Um, it's obvious that, that she feels that that is not the case. And so she's stepping back because she does not want to continue in the role if it's not something that there is going to be serious work on if the Labour Party were to get into government. And I, I don't blame her in regards to that, to be honest. Um, but again, it kind of, it gives you a glimpse into what a Labour government could potentially look like. And worryingly, again, you have to ask yourself, what, what exactly am I looking at here? 
you know, I'm not seeing anything too drastically different. And I think that we need drastically different. We Certainly when it comes to mental health, we need for there to be the support in place, the funding in place. We need for people to be able to access those services. Because currently you can't. You can't. Um, you know, I know from my own experiences and also people I know as well who have tried to access services and just basically been told it's a very long waiting list. If you can hold on, great. If you can afford to go private, which, you know, pretty much nobody can. We're in a cost of living crisis. Um, then that's your best bet because you're going to be waiting a long time to be seen. And it's not the staff that are at fault that there's nothing really they can do um this is something the government needs to take seriously and currently they are not and so if I'm honest that is a concern to me um but we'll see I guess my hope would be that it is something that the Labour Party is willing to look seriously at if they intend to become the next government. But I don't know. I I don't know. Uh, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I still can't believe this. Um, this is not to do with the, with the Labour Party anymore because he's not a member of the Labour Party anymore, um, I believe. Uh, but Jeremy Corbyn is making his film debut. <laughs> the former leader of the Labour Party uh, and currently independent member of parliament for Islington. Jeremy Corbyn is starring <laughs> in the movie um, Some Other Hood, which actually looks really good. Like, it, the trailer came up on my timeline and I, I just, I had a little look and I was like, oh, this actually looks really funny. um It looks really good. And then Jeremy Corbyn pops up and I was like, whoa, what is this? So yeah, he's he's in the movies now, darling. He's in the movies. Um... <laughs> <laughs> shades of when uh john prescott was in gavin and stacy um but it yeah so jeremy corbyn's in the movies um there is also still a lot of talk about him running for mayor of london and there is some polling that shows that if he were to run it could potentially cause some problems for Sadiq khan as there may be some people who would ordinarily vote for Sadiq Khan who may switch their vote to Jeremy Corbyn so I don't know what's going to happen there I I do wonder if um if perhaps that will be something that that is considered when Jeremy Corbyn makes that decision to you know to run or not to run um however you know, it does seem like he is still quite dedicated to his role um, as as a constituency MP. So I, I don't know if perhaps the whole mayor thing is, you know, a lot of talking. It does seem, 
I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't know the man. I don't have any insights here. But I just kind of get the vibe that his constituency is a priority to him. It's his local community. He's represented them for literally decades. I I just, I don't see him ditching them to go and try and become mayor. I, that's just what I'm seeing and what I'm thinking. Um, but I, I guess we'll see. We'll have to wait and see. Um, what, what unfolds, um, uh, speaking of polling, actually, oh my God. So it turns out, it turns out that, uh, many of us do not enjoy Rishi Sunak's travel adventures. Polling this week shows that almost half of people hate how Rishi Sunak travels by helicopter to every destination in the UK and they would prefer for him to travel in other ways. I agree. Um, so 49% said they oppose him flying by helicopter. 54% said they would prefer him to use public transport for official engagements, even if it took longer. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I mean, it's funny. Um... It's funny because Rishi Sunak is currently joining the pylon in terms of ULEZ, um, which as a reminder, you know, Sadiq Khan has had to agree to the expansion in in exchange for the TFL funding that was required to save TFL from bankruptcy during the pandemic. And now the Conservatives are trying to pretend like the ULEZ expansion is something he decided on by himself and not something that their government forced him into. Um, so Rishi's joining in on that, but I mean, he's a guy who lives in London and commutes by a fucking helicopter and shit. Like, you're not exactly helping the air pollution, are you, my dude? Perhaps it's people like you that are the reason why legislation like that is necessary. Like, why do you need to be on a fucking private jet all the time? What for? I listen. I'm just I'm I'm so sick of him just traveling around like some kind of movie villain. It's ridiculous. It's such a waste of money and it's dangerous to our climate as well and it just makes me sick. <laughs> and so I'm glad to hear that there are other people who agree with me. There are so many of us out there. Um, speaking of wastes of money, so we talked a couple weeks back about the government's big plan to bring chess back in a big way uh, by, <laughs> uh, by installing chess tables into public spaces. Um, so the government has now published uh, some information on how this would be possible and allowing local authorities to register their interest um for these chess tables um and guess how much it's going to cost for one chess table and four seats two thousand five hundred pounds two thousand five hundred pounds for one table and four seats and and this is at a time when the government <laughs> the government keeps saying 
that we can't have anything. Our local councils are having to say we can't have anything. And the government expects local councils to spend over £2,000, £2,500 on chess sets. Come on. Come on. I mean... I'll tell you something. If they show up in my local park, I'm going to be pissed off. And let me tell you why. Because our local council keeps going on about how they can't save local bus routes. They can't do anything like that. They, you know, they can't put money into public services. We can't have anything nice. But apparently, you know, they they can do this. Like, what the fuck? Spending over two grand on on chess sets that will probably get vandalized within five minutes for what reason bitch i listen listen this is silly this is silly it's ridiculous i mean it's outside as well in a country that is known for rain above all else above all else do you know what would have been better, I think? I mean, it costs money too. But, you know, investing in stuff like youth clubs. Like, not to sound like an old person, but you don't really get youth clubs anymore. And I think stuff like that. I mean, you could have chess there if, the you know, if various government ministers are really passionate about chess. They can have chess at youth clubs. It's a thing. But... You know, investing in spaces for young people to go uh, with activities for them to do. Shit like that is going to make a real difference. You know, and it's indoors. You know, you can, you know, give councils the funding to be able to rent spaces for these kinds of of groups for young people. Um, you can have, you know, if if you must, some kind of you know, educational aspect or, you know, if it really needs to be chess-based, you can do that, I guess. But wasting thousands of pounds on outdoor chess equipment in a country that is constantly blighted with rain just seems a bit silly. Like, I'm sorry. Um, We've just had the fucking wettest summer of our lives. I would not have wanted to be playing chess in the park during those downpours, I'll tell you that. Um, but speaking of waste of money, because it never, ever ends, um, <laughs> the, the government is also, uh, in, in a bid to innovate work across the NHS and improve efficiency, they have, uh, trialed a robot that will move medicines and specimens and clinical supplies in hospitals. And Steve Barclay uh, decided to have a little tweet about that. Um, however, a number of members of staff within the NHS have pointed out that there are still huge aspects of the process of working in the NHS and the things that they do every day that are nowhere near close to modernisation. And so it would probably be better to invest in that than to invest in like a couple of little robots at one hospital. You know what I mean? 
so there was a tweet that I found quite interesting and she said, I literally have to hand write a paper form request to get an x-ray and hand deliver it to the radiology department. Our medical notes are still on paper. Can we just get electronic notes before installing robo-penguin porters? I don't think that this person is asking a lot. I think that's a very, very fair request. I do. Uh, <laughs> I I think that would be the sensible option. But of course, the government goes with robo-penguins and outdoor chess boards. Because of course they do. Um, Penny Morden. Uh, God, what a disaster. Uh <laughs> She has backed a scheme for automatically signing up 16-year-olds for national service. Goodness sake. For goodness sake. Again? A fucking gen. A fucking gen. Really? How many times is this going to be wheeled out as an idea? And it's always so insulting as well. It's always, oh, these young people, they're so shit and they don't know what to do. And they're such bastards and they're so horrible. Sign them up for national service. Fucking leave them alone. Leave young people alone. All right? They fucking suffered enough under this government. I mean, Christ. If you, if you think about it, right... They, they've had to watch. It's just like everything just gets cut to pieces. The public service is decimated. On top of that, young people are paid less for their work. And the, the government, for some reason, stands behind that and allows it and makes it legal, like which is insane. Um, they have had their opportunities cut. Young people are in a really difficult position. And the Tories have spent the last 13 years making young people's lives harder. And then they turn around and they say, oh, young people, they're not doing enough. Young people, they don't have any skills. Young people need to be doing this national service thing because they're useless or whatever. They're not. Young people are not useless. This idea that young people don't have any skills is stupid and gross and ageist um i just feel like it's a popular thing um with certain parts of you know the media certainly and i suppose certain parts of the tory voting base to basically just pick on young people and just give them a good kicking in the press every couple of months and i'm pretty sure that's what this is but what I would ask would be if there is money for some new national service program, why isn't there money for things that would actually be of use to young people? You know, why isn't there money for public services for them? You know, libraries, I think going back to what I said earlier, youth clubs, fuck it, why not? Um, why isn't there money for, you know, further educational support if they need it or um housing for younger people there are 
you know, the government may not want to think about it or accommodate for them. But there are young people, you know, who are 16 years old who are having to find their own housing. It happens. Why is there no provision for that, really? Um, you know, why is there no support in place for those young people? Um, put the money back into education to support them. Like, you don't need to create this whole new thing, and especially not with such a patronising tone. If if the government is serious about wanting to invest in young people at last, I'd love to I'd love to see it, but I, I don't think that's what this is. I think this is, you know, the sort of bi-monthly give young people a kicking situation. I don't I don't think this is actually about caring about them. Um but that was that was not Penny's only bad take this week. Um she went on a bizarre rant about uh well rats um she in the house of commons just went on this this kind of insane unhinged uh monologue about scottish cities apparently being rat infested where people suffer from Victorian diseases. What? What the fuck? I... Girl. So, I have something to say. I have something to say. Firstly... If Scotland is so disease-ridden and rat-infested, why are you so obsessed with keeping hold of them? Why won't you let them go? If they're so gross and they've got rats and fucking fleas and whatever and diseases, why are you so obsessed with keeping them? Hmm? Is it perhaps because it's not true? Is it perhaps that actually... It's a thriving country with a lot of resources and a lot to offer. And you feel that you have to basically talk them down to try and and suppress any desire that people there may have to have some more control over their lives and to break away from a dangerous and negligent conservative government. Is that perhaps what this is? Is it negging, Penny? Is it? Is that what it is? Because I feel like that's what it is. Um, Victorians are seasons. Girl. I mean... It really is giving that guy who tells you that you're really ugly and gross and that he hates you and he thinks you're disgusting but then, like, DMs you at, like, half twelve... And is like, hey, you aren't. And then like 10 minutes later, ask for nudes or something. Like, it's really giving that. Um, but you know what? <laughs> this is about to be so bad. Just watch. <laughs> it turns out there are in fact rats in Scotland where you may ask. 
Wow. And the Scottish Conservatives. <laughs> I'm so dumb, I can't believe it. Um, so, what's been going on? Well, the Scottish Tories have had their, their regular and scheduled moment of saying, we're fucking getting rid of Douglas Ross. All the rats are running from the sinking ship, but then they, they get to the side of the ship and they're like, oh, oh, there's sharks down there. Oh, we don't want to. Mm. So then they run to the other side, you know, that bit in The Simpsons. And they're like, oh, oh, wow, dolphins. But these dolphins are really mad about what we've done to the oceans. Oh, fuck. And they run back to the other side and the sharks are still there. And they're like, all oh, right, okay. They do this all the time. They do this all the time. They'll be like, we're getting rid of him. He's shit. We hate him. He's terrible. He's the worst leader we've ever had. <laughs> we're we're going to bring back Ruth Davidson. Just watch. And, um, and then they don't. Um, because they realise that Douglas Ross is literally the best that they can do right now. And um, possibly for a significant period of time. Because, I mean... God... I mean, how how shit do you have to be to come to the realisation that you and also everybody else in your little fucking branch office are not as good as Douglas Ross? Like, imagine. That must be a devastating thing to (laughs) realise. But anyway, they do this all the time. They'll start plotting against him. They'll try and do a little coup, a little moment. Trying to be a little snaky and betray him. But then they realise that they ain't got nobody else who could do it. Then there's nobody else who could lead them. So they just drop it. They do this all the fucking time. And I'm here for the drama, I'm here for the drama. I love the drama. I think it's hilarious. I'm living for it. And also, just, just you know, just being real. I don't think that Douglas Ross is a very nice person. So, um, I take a lot of comfort in the fact that this is probably stressing him the fuck out. Um, <laughs> even though he probably knows himself it's, it's going to come to nothing. It must be quite humiliating and embarrassing to have your own party constantly plotting against you and saying that you're not good enough and that you're shit and they hate you. Um, and quite embarrassing and humiliating and and upsetting. So that's good. Um, <laughs> but we love drama. We love drama. So uh, Penny... I mean, she's she's pretty much entirely wrong, but she may be right in the fact that there are some rats in Scotland and they are once again scurrying off of the good ship Scottish Conservative, but then scurrying back on again when they realise there ain't nothing in that ocean for them. Uh, <laughs> but someone who who's uh, steering a good little ship at 20 miles per hour... Wait, no... The speed's different on the ocean, isn't it? I don't know. I've never sailed a like a boat. I would like to, but I, I never have. Um but he's he's uh slow and steady wins the race and, and does not result in accidents. Mark Drakeford, first minister of Wales, so it has been announced recently 
that the speed limit on most Welsh residential roads will be lowered to 20 miles per hour. Mark Drakeford has spoken about this and says that he believes it will prevent accidents and make the roads safer. I agree. I agree. Um, where I live, we see a lot of really crazy, erratic driving. Um, I, I live, um, you know, not too far from the Dartford Bridge. And oh my God, accident central. People are always having accidents there. But also, you know, in the residential parts of, of where I live as well, there are quite a few accidents because of dangerous driving, people driving too fast, you know, not knowing the roads, not knowing what's coming, all that kind of stuff. So um, I do think a little bit more care when driving is not a bad thing. Um, I can't drive myself. However, oh my God, I am looking at learning uh, maybe next year, maybe next year. But I, I, I'm really nervous about it because I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about cars, like, at all. I was looking up cars the other day, and literally the only thing that I was thinking about was, is it pink and cute? But then I thought, wait, no, there's so many things you've got to know. Like, is it a good car? Is it going to break? Is it, like, is it manual or automatic? I still don't really know what the difference there is, but hopefully I will learn that when I learn to drive, maybe. Um, anyway, so I, I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, but I, I was thinking of learning to drive. I was thinking of doing it. Oh, my God. Um, but I think, you know, 20 miles per hour would be great for me because um, I can be nice and, and steady and not go too crazy. So shout out to Mark Drakeford for that. If I'm ever in Wales, I will feel very safe on the roads. Um, but what I really want to talk about was the fact that he, he was doing an interview with Channel 4 and he was asked... He was asked repeatedly in this interview if he had consulted Keir Starmer and what Keir Starmer thought and what Keir Starmer had said about this decision that the Welsh government had made. The Welsh government that Mark Drakeford is in charge of, by the way. Mark Drakeford is the First Minister of Wales. Um, and, and he has been elected as the First Minister of Wales. Keir Starmer is not the First Minister of Wales. That is not a thing. Um, yes, it is true that, you know, like in Scotland, um, Welsh Labour is still part of, of the, the central UK Labour Party. It is not a separate political party. However, Mark Drakeford and, you know, all of the various Welsh Labour politicians, they have all been elected to, to the Senate themselves. Keir Starmer is not. Keir Starmer is elected at Westminster, completely different parliament, completely different parliament. And Mark Drakeford being elected in the Senate and being the First Minister of Wales means that he gets to make decisions about Wales. He is in charge of Wales. He is the First Minister of Wales. He gets to make those decisions within the confines of devolution. It's up to him. And he does not and should not have to consult with Keir Starmer about anything that he does. If it's in the confines of devolution, 
It is not Keir Starmer's business. And it's pretty insulting, actually, that that a journalist was repeatedly asking him about this and pressing him on this as if um as if devolution hasn't happened as if wales and the welsh government should not have any level of autonomy like it was it was crazy i mean mark drakeford he stood up for himself and and frankly in my opinion he stood up for the senate and it's legitimacy as well and he said i've not had that conversation with him nor should i need to true true see this this is what i was saying when i said a couple of weeks ago about how i feel that the labor party is going to miss mark drakeford when he's gone and they they are potentially going to to have difficulty when he's not around because he is standing down at the next elections um because he is a strong voice in in Wales and he is a strong voice not only for the Labour Party but also for Wales as a country. He's very much an advocate for for the country. Um it it's sad that it's necessary in 2023 for for a Welsh politician to effectively have to explain devolution to a journalist. Um it's frustrating because a lot of political media is so Westminster centric that it doesn't really understand that. They don't understand why Mark Drakeford would not have to speak to Keir Starmer about something that devolution allows him to do as first minister. Um and and it doesn't it it doesn't make sense that the first minister of Wales would need to consult a member of parliament from a completely different country in the UK. But for some people, it's the default. For some people, in their mind, it is literally England's in charge. So he's got to, you know, he's got to do what Keir Starmer says. Um, I think this is probably not helped by the fact that some, <laughs> some other parts of the Labour Party do seem to abide by that. For example, I've spoken about Scottish Labour and how they very much do not differentiate, really, from uh the uk labor party um they don't really make different choices and they do kind of just go along with whatever they're told to do these days it's not always been the case there have been um some leaders in the past who have deviated and who have done things a bit differently and tried to be a bit more autonomous um but they were swiftly taken down uh <laughs> Uh, Mark Drakeford seems to have done so a bit more successfully. Um, but, you know, the the point is as well, I would say the difference between Scottish Labour and Welsh Labour is that Welsh Labour is actually elected to government. So they actually have the, the legitimate power to do things differently. Um, whether it's something Keir Starmer would approve of or not doesn't really matter because they have the power to do it. So what's he going to do? take away devolution I don't, oh christ no don't give them ideas um whereas scottish labor has spent a long time uh in opposition now they have previously been in government but currently and for well for a very long time now uh they have been in opposition and so i i think that perhaps they struggle at the moment to be ambitious 
you know, Scottish Labour struggles to be ambitious because they've been away from government for so long. They have not had anything close to being able to make decisions on their own. And so in a sense, it's almost like they've forgotten how. Do you know what I mean? Um, whereas Welsh Labour, you know, is is in that position, making those decisions, you know, and and so it comes easier to them and it's more natural. I, I don't know. That's just my theory. Um, but shout out to Mark Drakeford for standing up for himself and for Wales and Wales's right to make their own decisions. Um, personally, person, I mean, you know how I feel. <laughs> I'm always for for more more autonomy and 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 for self determination as a whole. Um, but the fact is devolution is what we have at the moment and it really is past time that our media educated themselves on that. It should not be the case that the First Minister of Wales is being asked disrespectful questions like this. Oh, did you go and ask Keir Starmer for permission for this? No, no, he did not. And he should not have to. And you shouldn't be asking him that. Like, whether you agree with Drakeford or not, whether you like him or not, he is the First Minister of Wales. Put some fucking respect on his name. Like, and and it's, it's the frustrating thing about politics outside of England. And, and really, outside of London, there are so many journalists and so many in the media that, that either don't know this shit or will pretend that they don't know this shit so that they can keep these perceptions going. And it's really frustrating and really insulting. And it makes me really mad. Okay, so uh, this next segment, we're going to be talking about sexual harassment, sexual abuse and things like that. So if you need to skip ahead, the timestamps are below in the description. I, I, I'm I, sorry that, that we have to have this discussion again. I wish that it was not necessary for us to talk about it because it wasn't happening. But unfortunately, it is happening and unlike some people who talk a lot about caring about the engagement of women and minorities in politics but then fall silent when this kind of thing comes up i'm not going to fall silent i'm going to talk about it um because it is important to me and 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 i do i do care and i do want to to do something um but I just find it funny that there are a lot of people who talk about how important engagement with women is to them in political spaces. But when these things happen, suddenly, oh, suddenly they've got nothing to say. They've got nothing to say. Um, and it's it's very funny because quite a few of the people that I am covertly talking about here, they will make their entire personality into how they are great defenders of women's rights and all of this. Um, but they don't care about this. In fact, you know what? Sidebar, I'm going to tell you a story. So there's somebody that I know um, through... <laughs> 
through political spaces. And this is a person who very publicly talks about how much they care about women's engagement in politics, how much they care about protecting women and standing up for women. They have made their entire personality about basically defending women, right? Um, this guy talks non-stop about it, like, literally. However, <laughs> uh, this this guy, who is significantly older than me, um, I, I have screenshots of him, frankly, being quite inappropriate in my DMs. So he talks about wanting to protect women, standing up for women making politics a safer place for women and yet <laughs> and yet behind closed doors where other people can't see he was being a creep to me and this this is what pisses me off is the fucking two-faced element of this shit like what the fuck bro what the fuck get out of here abuelo i what what are you doing Anyway, <laughs> that, the sad part is that's not even the one story I have. Like, I, I, I have encountered so much harassment, inappropriateness, crossing my boundaries, um, you know, predatory behavior in political spaces. And <sighs> Christ, you know, I mean... Listen, you know my origin story. She was raised as a little political girl. Um, but I, I took, you know, I took some time away because I, I found the environment very uncomfortable, uh, you know, as a young, a young woman when I was at uni and I was like, oh, this is so cool. There's so much political stuff going on. Like literally immediately, boom, boom, boom. It was like, oh God, no, this is bad. This is bad. Why is this bad? Why? <laughs> Why are guys being weird with me? Why does no one listen to me? Why does no one take me seriously? Why do men all shout over me and never let me speak and talk about what I think? Oh God, it's because I'm a woman. <laughs> and I think that was the moment when I really realised, oh my God, political spaces, are, like they're not for women, are they? Um, you know, and I took some time away. I, I was still interested, but I, I, I never directly engaged with anything. Um, but then, you know... <laughs> after I kind of gained my confidence and I, and I felt a lot more, you know, sure of myself, I kind of started to engage again with politics in a more direct way. And one of the things that I always had in the back of my mind was I do not want for young girls to feel like I felt in that moment. And on that journey, I have had, <laughs> I've had many experiences uh, with, you know, inappropriate behaviour from men in those spaces uh, patronizing behavior, misogyny, all of that. Like I've experienced that shit. Um, but I will not stop until it ends. And unlike some of the people who talk about this, I actually mean it. Um, and thankfully I'm not alone because this week something has happened and and I, I very much support it. So we're going we're gonna to have a little chat about this. So, um, so this week I have been seeing a lot of uh, women come forward um, about... Oh my God. Um, 
a member of the Liberal Democrats who has been accused by a number of young women of sexual harassment um, and inappropriate behaviour. And these women came forward with receipts, they had screenshots, all that, um, showing that this guy would contact them and he would ask for, you know, um, explicit content, he would pressure them, he would harass them relentlessly, um, he would send completely inappropriate messages um he would he would really put a lot of pressure on these on these young girls um and and every day more and more um more and more girls would come forward and you know they were saying that they they blocked him but he kept going he would you know after they said no he would keep harassing them um if he didn't get a response from one girl he would just move on to the next and he would just just basically moving through so many young women to to harass them um and this is this is something frankly that i have i have observed um i have seen i've even encountered um many men in political spaces who will basically just go after every every, every girl and woman they can find and just relentlessly harass them, just moving from one to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, there is also accusations um, from, from a young woman who says that this man contacted her when she was underage and that he knew that she was underage and still repeatedly pressured her to send explicit videos and pictures um and i i uh, again I, I i wish i could tell you that i'm shocked or surprised But I'm I'm not because I, I mean this is such a a common thing that the guy has privated his account, um <laughs> unsurprisingly. Um, but he did put out a statement with this, you know, the same standard stuff that people say when they get caught with this stuff. Oh, I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get better. I'm sorry. I've been a very bad boy. You know what I mean? Like that kind of shit. 
um, which, and, and you know, you know the saddest part, <laughs> you know the saddest part, that will probably be enough, that will probably be enough, this guy will probably be able to take a couple months, let it die down and then he will be able to go back and he will be treated with the same level of respect and kindness that he was before, regardless of what he's done. Even though he, he admits it in his fucking little statement, he will there will be a road back for him because he will... <laughs> he will talk about... I mean, he says in the statement, oh, it was out of character despite the fact that he did it to multiple women. You can't say something's out of character for you if you've done it, like, a ridiculous amount of times, but okay. Um, you know, and... Jesus. And I, I would imagine that there is probably a way back for him. Um, it's not... As I've said, it's not just something that is specific to one party um this guy was from the liberal democrats but it's not just specific to one party this is something that's happening um everywhere um which is why i was very uh pleased to see um a new campaign group that has um been announced this week called our voice matters which is a cross-party campaign to take on sexual harassment within political parties. I think this is so important. And my hope is that they are given support because I, I think that they are, you know, going to make a difference. This is what we need. Um... And the people within this campaign do seem incredibly genuine. Um, from from what I can see, it is people who have had these experiences. So it's not going to be, um, you know, just a bunch of fake people being like, oh, yeah, we really care about this issue. And then brushing it under the carpet, um, as some campaign groups tend to do. Uh, this does seem to be legitimate and genuine. So I do really uh approve of this and i 100 percent support this um so they at the moment they are collecting data on experiences of sexual harassment and experiences of reporting that harassment in political spaces and the data is anonymized um so you know you can report it and you don't have to give any details of of you personally if you don't want to uh, which I think is important as well, um, because frankly, it, when it comes to political spaces, there is a trust issue when it comes to this kind of thing. When it comes to sexual harassment and, and abuse and things like that, there are a great number of people who are not going to trust in being able to come forward and talk about it because they have had bad experiences trying to do that before. Um, I know someone, for example, who... Um, who wanted to report somebody within her party who was incredibly inappropriate um, 
would send very inappropriate messages, um, say very inappropriate things when they were alone together, um, pressuring her for sexual things. And this this girl was so young, and she was she was scared, and what she needed was someone to support her and tell her that she did nothing wrong and that people were going to listen to her and take her seriously. But what actually happened was people told her that if she reported this guy, it would be very bad for her and it would affect her career in the party going forward. And so she didn't. She dropped it because she was scared and she didn't have anyone around her at the time to help her. Um, The people who should have helped her basically manipulated her into dropping the claim and and that was that um i also know people who have been punished uh by their parties when they've come forward about harassment i know people who who have been intimidated out of making reports um i know people who have um who have essentially had to watch helplessly while political parties work to cover up everything and to to manipulate them and manipulate the narrative like in real time and they've just had to basically sit and watch that because there's nothing else they can do so i think collecting data on people's experiences of reporting harassment as well is incredibly important because that is another aspect of this situation that often goes overlooked because people people assume because you know most people are decent people and so people assume that if you report a sexual harasser or a sexual predator that there will be people who will care and there will be people who will take it seriously and try and get something done and people will assume that oh well there must be safeguarding policies and there must be um somebody who's in charge of all of this who can't be swayed and who can't be manipulated and who's not going to act according to their friendships or whatever there's got to be somebody impartial who'll take care of this and they're very shocked to realize that actually often there is not um and that there is a bias and you know some claims may be taken more seriously than others based off of factional things or you know friendships and alliances and some things may be taken less seriously because it's going to look very bad in terms of optics and you know this is a uh, a very common thing that i think some people don't realize and so i think it is important to get down people's experiences of reporting these things so that we can have a clear picture of what's going on because those of us who've had these experiences will know but many people who haven't will have no idea of how bad it can be um you know and and how how futile it can feel to try and have something done um you know from my own experiences you know there is somebody else and I've I've talked about this uh before um you know when I spoke about the harassment I faced from this other person uh not just me but there are a number of other women as well um there were a lot of people 
who sent me abuse. I still get abuse because of talking about it. Um, I still get abusive messages, emails. What's the problem with having a public email address? Uh, <laughs> uh, I still get people who who talk about me and say that I'm far right because, you know, this person was, you know, a liberal and they told everyone that, you know, everybody who was talking about them being a sexual predator was far right, apparently. And there are some people who still believe that. And so they believe that I, me, I'm far right. I mean, I'm sure that you, obviously, listening to this show, you're well aware that that's not true. Um, but there are a great number of people out there who talk about me and say those things because, and I'll, I'll tell you why, because he is their friend and he is someone that they admire and they look up to. And so they cannot take the fact that he is a gross person. And so rather than settling that in their mind and dealing with that and, and all of that, it's 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 easier to pretend that I'm a bad person and that every other woman who talks about his behaviour and every other woman who reported him is also a bad person and he's just an innocent little bean. Like, it's just easier to do that. Like, you know, mentally, it's just easier. And so they do. They take the easy way out. Um, so I had a bunch of abuse for that. Um, I know for a fact that there were people within his party, because he was quite prominent within his party, who also, um, who also tried to pressure people to shut up about it, basically, and to stop talking about it. Um, and, and, and see, that that's the thing. When it comes to um, harassment and things like that, on the outside, it can kind of look a bit, you know, oh, conspiracy. Oh, it's a bit, you know, surely that didn't happen. Surely, you know, you didn't get bullied into dropping a complaint. Surely, you know, you didn't have a, a bunch of people from a political party working really hard to try and shut you up when, you know, you're talking about what happened to you. Surely that couldn't have happened. But it really did. You know, th this is this is the problem. <laughs> that, that we have is that um political spaces can be really dark and there can be a lot of really fucked up shit that happens and people find it hard to get their head around that which i understand because you know most people are you know good-hearted nice people and so the idea of bullying people that come forward about harassment and abuse is insane to them they would never think to do that because they're decent people they're good people they would never think um you know to try and and, and intimidate and bully um women and girls who are coming forward about being harassed by a guy they would never think to do that because you know they're not <laughs> They're not the kind of people that would do that. And so they find it hard to to believe that other people would, you know. And I, I understand that in a sense. But also, we need to get real because it's happening. It's happening. Um, 
you know, I and a number of other people, um, we had, frankly, some, some pretty high-ranking people from this guy's political party trying to intimidate us, trying to um, discredit us as well. I know that happened. Um, we received a lot of abuse for speaking about it. Um, even though we had, you know, we had proof, we had evidence that it happened. Uh, a lot of people, you know, when it comes to these kinds of cases, when it comes to harassment in political spaces, they'll say, oh, why do you go to the police? Why don't you do that? I did. And I know a lot of other women who experienced the same thing with the same guy did. And <laughs> they were basically useless. <laughs> I remember actually very specifically when I reported it um, to the police and a police officer called me and he told me quite openly he had gone round and spoken to this guy about this behaviour a couple of times before. So they were aware of it. Um, and he told me he would go and he would speak to this guy again. And I was like, is that all? Like, you know, he's doing it, but you just keep going around to have a, okay, all right. You know, if that's what you're going to do, okay. Um, when it got to the point, there were so many more people reporting him they brought him in for an interview and the police officers basically let this guy manipulate them and say, oh, well, I've just been really down lately and it's very out of character for me and and and, and, and I think I'm being picked on for political reasons and basically all of these fucking sob stories. And the police, for some reason, believed that even though they had on their own records on their own records they had multiple cases where they had gone out and spoken to him and he had admitted it happened so he's admitted he's done it to you multiple times but for some reason because he puts on a little sad face when you officially interview him you you believe that what the fuck bro anyway the police actually later did admit that basically they fucked up and they allowed themselves to be manipulated, which is fucking insane, because how? How? Like, you're a fucking experienced police officer. How do you let a sexual predator manipulate you? Are they not trained for that? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, my point is, I went to the police, and they fucking suck. So, um you know, people will will probably be harassing these girls who come forward this week and, and talk about what's happened to them um, with the whole, well, actually, why don't you go to the police? And let me tell you, <laughs> the police ain't shit when it comes to this kind of thing. They're just not. They don't, they don't care. They, they're useless. They just are. Um, and that's, that's if, you know, it's not the police doing the actual crimes because as we have learned you know, over the last few years, when it comes to, you know, predatory behaviour, the police are not above that. It seems to actually be a requirement to be in the Met, for example. Um, so a lot of these girls are going to be harassed with, why don't you go to the police? Well, I would imagine actually quite a lot of them probably have. Um, and if they haven't, that's because the police have created an environment where victims don't feel it's worth going through, having to tell your story again and again, having to bring up all of that pain, 
present all the evidence, all of that, just to be told, sorry, love, there's nothing we can do. Like, it's it's painful. It's hurtful. Um, so what have they done instead? They have come together to create this campaign group. And I very much will be supporting it. And I hope everybody will. Um, and I wonder... I wonder if some of the people who talk a lot about wanting to improve women's engagement, um, wanting to make politics a safer space for women, I wonder if they will. I wonder if they will support this campaign too. I wonder if they will actually put the work in, put the effort in to to give their support to this important campaign. I, if I'm being honest, I think that there are some people who won't, mainly because they know, they know that this campaign, um, if it's successful, will change things. And there are some people who don't want it to change they don't want this harassment to end they they thrive in this environment so um so there are some people I'm going to be watching how they react to it very carefully let's just say that um but yeah I think it's a very important campaign and I am really pleased that it is um it is it's here and there are a lot of people working on it I'm going to put the details for it in the description as well, so you can check it out yourself. Um, in terms of the future of this issue, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think the problem is, is that for every person who talks publicly about wanting, you know, a better environment and wanting you know this harassment and abuse to end probably only about half of them are genuine like i i know that that sounds paranoid but i'm not even just talking from my own experiences i'm talking from like a lot of people that i know who will say oh you know this person who talks about you know wanting to make things better yeah they they sent me a random no context picture of their fucking genitals yesterday um so i think in some cases talking about you know protecting women and all of this it's like a safeguard um it's like a, a shield they can hide behind you know and that's not to say it's everybody but i i just me personally i'm not gonna trust somebody on face value when they tell me that i'm gonna be like i'm gonna watch you and i'm gonna wait I, I want to see receipts. I want to see you actually doing the work before I just trust you because I'm not dumb. Um, but I, I, I think for us to have a better environment and for things to be better, there needs to be support for campaigns like this. And there needs to be a serious effort and there needs to be completely independent processes. Um... And there also needs to be parties working together. This is why a campaign like this is the right way to go forward because it is cross-party. It's not one party saying, well, we're going to deal with this. It's everybody coming together. 
Um, because, you know, I, I know, for example, there are people who will jump from one party to another. So they will join a party, be horrible, inappropriate, um, make people really uncomfortable, harass people, abuse people in some cases. And then they will leave that party before the complaint can go through and they will jump to another party. And that other party that they jump to will have no idea of who they are and what they've done. Um, because there's there's no way for them to know. Um, and I, I've talked about this before, but I, I do think greater cooperation in terms of... Um, I mean, I'm not... I'm not entirely sure what it would look like. Um, but frankly, I don't think it's just my job to figure this out. So, <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I do think some kind of, um, you know, I, I don't know if it will come down to vetting or um, something like that. But I know for a fact there are people who will jump between parties to avoid having to face the consequences of their actions um you know and and often these new parties that take them on have no idea until it's too late who they are and what they've done um so e even if it is just a thing of you know people feeling safer to come forward you know we are in a more digital space in a digital age um and so that can help people to find other people who've been through the same thing often with the same person um what happened this week when people were coming forward about uh this man in the liberal democrats there were more and more people realizing that they weren't alone um and there were people from lots of different parties um you know who had those same experiences so it was it was a way to identify somebody who could be potentially dangerous and i mean again it should it shouldn't fall to the people who've had those negative experiences to do that work but for now they seem to be the only ones who want to do it so um so i think you know something you know looking at things like that and how we can try and make sure that there are less hiding spaces for uh predatory people who want to use political spaces to you know to abuse people because if you think about it a political space is kind of the ultimate environment to do that if you are an abuser if you are somebody who wants to hurt people harass people a political space is kind of the, the place to do it because for a start, you know, there is a lot of loyalty expected in political spaces. You know, you, you know, you're not supposed to talk about, um, anything that would make the party look bad. You're not supposed to, um, do anything that's going to hurt the electoral chances and all of that. And, you know, you've got to be a team player and there's a lot of pressure when it comes to that. So, you know, if you are somebody who's been able to work your way up a little bit, you can then hurt people, you can abuse people and you know that there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to keep their mouth shut. That's what we need to address and that's what we need to shut down. Um, whether it's going to happen or not, I don't know. Because obviously this is a process that very much benefits some people. I hope that it will. And I hope that this campaign is going to be um, a, a big part of that. Because I, I think it is something that is well-meaning. 
um, and I think it comes from a good place. But it's not going to get off the ground if people don't support it, and that's the frustrating thing. But I hope that they do. Okay, besties, that's all for this week, but I will catch you in the next one very, very soon. Love you, bye. I nearly wet myself then. Thanks for listening, bestie. I hope you enjoyed the show and I will see you again next time for a new episode of What the Actual Fuck is Going On With This Whole Politics Business. Stuff about me paddleboarding nonsense. The sea was actually closed. It was a, a red notice. You just can't call it. We will not be caught with no clothes on. I've always been a completely normal UK tax player. Russia should go away. It should shut up. Um, try that's, that's a dodgy view. I don't know if you've been to Pepper Pig World. Who's been to Pepper Pig World? Who's been to Pepper Pig World? In December, I'll be in Beijing, opening up new pork markets. I mean, seriously. What the actual fuck? Love you, bye.